This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Welcome to the Unknown Regions, where a Star Wars-focused podcast brings you a variety of different content, such as the latest news, film, novel, and comic reviews, and connections with the people in the galaxy. This podcast aims to deliver fresh content to your comm link from the Holonet. This is Star Wars by MRC Tech. Episode 21, everyone, and welcome to Star Wars by the MRC Tech. I am your host, Sean, and we are happy to have you as we travel through the Unknown Regions. We're recording on May 25th, and because we know your time is precious, we're going to be creating bite-sized portions of this podcast for you to enjoy over the course of the week. Normally a 60-minute-plus episode, we're going to trim it down to 15 to 25-minute segments so you can listen while you wash the dishes, take the dog for a walk, or clean the cockpit. There's nothing more annoying than having a 90-minute podcast reset on you like one did on me today while listening to it in the car. It was a nightmare, so we're going to keep it nice and short for you. Star Wars by MRC Tech goes bite-sized for the next few weeks, so sit back and enjoy the quick-hitting episode. Let's cover the agenda. There's going to be three segments on this week for episode 21, starting off with 21.1, the hyperspace spot. We've got big news. MRC Tech joins a squad. We talk about an age-old radio drama. There is more Mandalorian news on the horizon. We discuss a few rumors... And a new patent from Disney. In episode 21.2, we finish out the Rise of Skywalker Jr. novel. The final changes and recap of that Jr. novel. We discuss the Disney Gallery episode 4, Reactions to Technology. And in our final segment for 21, 21.3, special segment, Ranking the Films with special guest, The Ice Orb. So I'm looking forward to listening to that conversation. If you're new to the podcast or you need a reminder, you can support the podcast through donations using PayPal. Support the show so we can maintain equipment and bring even better content to you. Head on over to mrctechllc.com for more information. And if you like game streams or any live stream like the one you may be watching now, Looking at you, Dave GT52 and Gingerbread Beauty and Ginger Slayer. Come on out and join me as I play through a series of games or podcasts live on Twitch and follow the channel. Like the Facebook cha- uh, like the Facebook page. Follow the Instagram goodness. Join the chat and have fun. And if you ever want to leave a message for me, anything about the show, you have a question. 
If you have a comment that you want to be featured on the show, you can head on over to anchor.fm backslash Star Wars by the MRC Tech backslash message, which will be in the show notes. So make sure you check that out now. Uh, so without further ado, let's just introduce a special musical interlude as we transition to the next segment. Welcome back to segment 21.2. Hopefully you were able to enjoy 21.1. And in the future, in just a couple days, we'll be dropping 21.3 on you. Nice and spicy-like. But in 21.2, we deem this into the galaxy. So what we have is uh, just a two-topic segment, and the first topic is going to be about the Rise of Skywalker's Jr. novel, which could be a little bit lengthy, and then the second, the ender of this segment, will be the Disney Gallery Episode 4, my reaction to it. I watched it last night in the wee hours of the day, like 3 o'clock in the morning as I'm feeding my daughter, and I was just absolutely blown away. So we're going to see... And here, uh, you're not going to see anything because it's a podcast, but you will hear some of my reactions to that uh, a little bit later. But let's kind of finish off this Rise of Skywalker novel. So first things first, uh, we have a little segment about Hux. So I'm going to read this because I thought it's some good character development. So friendless as a boy and never knowing his mother, Hux had found comfort and strength in his father's stories of the glorious empire that had brought order to the galaxy after the chaos of the Clone Wars. Yet as proud as Brendel Hux was of his own imperial service, he had no such pride in his son. He'd say that Armitage would never make anything of himself. He was stupid, he was weak, he didn't have a spine, and that Armitage would endure a slap that turned into a smack that often became a pummeling. Pride was respected only because of his closeness to Kylo Ren. So this is in reference to uh, how Pride became to be, because he's kind of a character that's out of nowhere. During the war with the Resistance, Pride had stayed conveniently far from the front lines. Ren had only awarded him the rank of the Legion General as a way to mock Hux, and all the officers and stormtroopers on the bridge knew it. Kind of cool. As we move along... At the Falcon's helm, Poe and Chewbacca avoided any collisions with the gas giant of Endor and the numerous satellites that circled it, which was no small feat for a ship with busted engines. I am just confused as to why there are so many satellites around Endor. Very bizarre. I kind of just highlighted that. The Empire's second battle station had orbited Endor 30 years earlier as an artificial moon. It had still been under construction when the Rebel Alliance took the majority of their forces there in a last-ditch attack to defeat the Empire. The Millennium Falcon, flown by Lando Calrissian and Neam Nub, a Celestium pilot Ray had met in the Resistance, headed uh, the squadron that destroyed the Death Star. So a little little uh, history there in the Rise of Skywalker, which I thought was cool. BB-8 beeped, asking where it came from. From the sky, Ray said, knowing destruction was never total. As with all things that exploded, there was debris... 
and this chunk of the battle station had plunged into the oceans of Kefbur, causing untold damage to the moon. So for those haters out there that said, oh, completely wiped itself out, there's no way this could be happening. Boom. Junior novel confirmed. Not really, but it's fine. Uh, moving on. We have... The, oh, it's very real, Finn said. Throughout his youth, his First Order instructions had taught him that the Force was a myth and that the feats of the Jedi were mere parlor tricks. But seeing what Rey could do and what they could all do together revealed that much of what he'd been taught was a lie. I like that. That's cool. Finn, Jana said, there's another skimmer. Finn lowered the quad knocks and looked out to the ocean. He could no longer see Rey or her skimmer without the enhanced magnification, but he did spot a claw-winged craft emerging from the dark clouds. He didn't need the quad knocks to know what it was and who flew it. Kylo Ren's TIE fighter descended toward the Death Star. So, as you can see, we're sort of uh, far ways into the movie. Spoiler alert. But Finn spots Kylo Ren's TIE fighter before anybody. So this was an added detail in the junior novel that we didn't quite see in the movie or in the other novel. So I thought that was nifty. Uh, moving on to Rey, she had experienced helming skiffs in Jakku's sandstorms, but she had scant experience swimming. And when a wall of water crashed down on her skimmer, splitting it apart and driving her into the depths, that's uh, that was what she was forced to do. She tumbled over herself, flailing her limbs, caught in an undertow. Water rushed into her nose and filled her lungs. Kefbur was going to be her grave. The desert scavenger would be drowned on an ocean moon. Pretty interesting uh, thing there with the possibility of Ray drowning because she doesn't know how to swim because why would she ever need to learn how to swim um, she found one of the rising currents and kicked into it what the ocean could swallow the ocean could also spit out Moana the current dragged her up toward the surface and she burst out of the water she floated on the crest of another wave I was about to crash on a ruined section of the Death Star and then this is sort of all new she paddled to the edge of the crest. As the wave broke, she rode the energy to fling herself into the air just as she couldn't swim, she couldn't fly. But it was never the falling that killed someone. It was the impact of the fall. Ray called onto the force to slow her descent. So there's this beautiful passage of how Ray entered the Death Star. In the movie, we just see her going through, you know, a crevice. And then the next thing is, is she's climbing. But, like, there's apparently this whole thing with, like, the ocean being the most violent thing ever. So, yeah, that's a big problem. After the water washed away, Ray was still standing, hugging the pylon. She peered down to see the path she needed to take, indicated by the dagger's cross guard. In that hole, the dark side whispered to her to come. Moving on, the wayfinder he held in his black gloved hand. Two were made, he said, his face free of his mask. One belongs to me, Vader's grandson. He looked up at Ray. This one belongs to you, heir to the power of the Sith. So that dialogue is completely new. Heir to the power of the Sith. Kind of liked it. I dug it. He loomed over her with her saber, and she knew she was done. But then he quit his attack. The fury vanished from his eyes. He stood there stunned and to raise disbelief, staggered back, dropping his weapon. That's a cool little scene um, right before Leia calls out to him. 
R2-D2 wobbled forward and moaned softly as he knew what was to come. He murmured a farewell in binary that was not just from him, but from his counterpart. As much as she adored C-3PO, she was glad he was not there. The golden droid would have fussed over her so much that she would never have found peace. As her surroundings faded, and obviously this is for Leia's death, the faces of her family came to her mind, family she had lost, her adoptive father and mother, Bale and Brea Organa, the brother she'd always known she had, Luke, her mother who had died during childbirth, yet whose kindness had left such an impression that Leia had felt close to her throughout her life, her father who had done great evil and whose face she always associated with his black mask. She saw another face now, a man's face lined with shame and remorse. Leia had never recon reconciled with Darth Vader, yet Luke had said he'd felt the good in him. Leia felt it now, too. This was not the time to erect more walls and cast blame. She accepted her father's apology and returned his love. The lines in his face lessened, and his eyes lit up. He smiled. And then there was Han, dear Han, scruffy-looking as ever, standing next to Chewie in the same grimy jacket he'd always seemed to wear, arms open for an embrace she'd never part from again. I love you, he said. I know. As those faces and memories also began to fade, Leia clasped the metal against her chest and thought of the person who had made her so happy since Han had gone. Han's last gift to her was bringing her a scavenger from Jakku, who had become like an adopted daughter to Leia. Rey had so much spirit that merely imagining her sprinting through the jungle on one of her tests diminished some of Leia's pain. She would miss the girl, miss not enjoying the future with her, but she was happy to have spent the time with her she had. For all that Leia had endured, the Force had been good to her in the end. It had given her a second opportunity to be a mother. So many parents who lost their children never had that chance. Wow. Big time passage in the junior novel. Heavy stuff. Loved it. Uh, moving on. Kylo Ren might have been a great evil, but one did not match evil with evil. In her anger, Rey had disregarded all her teacher had taught, and now her teacher was gone. There would be no more lessons to learn. This had been the final lesson, and she had failed. She would never be a Jedi. Rey bent down, blinked away tears. Your mother, she said. Ren regarded her with indifference. Like a dying animal that knew its time, it's up. Do it quickly, he said. He closed his eyes as if, as if expecting to be finished off. But there might be something else she could do if he let her do it. So, very interesting dialogue between those two. You know, like a dying animal. Just do it. Just get me off. Just get, just get out. Kill me. Blah. Um, <laughs> this is when Kylo's sort of uh, standing out on the beam of the Death Star. He says, why was it that no one could ever leave him alone? Storm clouds moved past to reveal the disk of Endor's forest moon. Darth Vader's ashes lay on that moon, and it was from there that his mask and helmet had been retrieved. That really hasn't been discussed until now. For years, Ren had meditated over those relics in the hope of communing with his grandfather, just as the voices in his head had communed with him. Curious, curious. Searching his memories were moving forward. C-3PO found no instances of working with a unit known as R2-D2, or any astromech for that matter, but this R2-D2 was insistent they had. Whatever are you referring to? What history together? R2-D2 continued to babble in binary about Death Stars, Clone Wars, Luke Skywalkers, and Obi-Wan Kenobis. And the first time they met in a hovel on Tatooine, then there were the years they'd spent together on Alderaan, serving Captain Antilles and Princess Leia, even traveling on the cruiser in the cave, the Tantive Four. 
C-3PO scanned the blockade runner with his photoreceptors. It's crested, matched out of the Royal House of Alderaan in his database, still his memory and no record of royal service. On a ship like that with a princess, you're malfunctioning. I think they could have did, done a little bit more with uh, the relationship between R2-D2 and C-3PO with the mind erasing. Moving forward during the journey, she had thought about many things. She thought about what Ren had said about her origin. She thought about her failures on the path to become a Jedi. She thought about her anger and her rage. She thought about Finn, who had been trying to help her when she tossed him back as if she had meant nothing to her. She thought about Leia. The worst feeling was knowing she could never go back to her teacher. She couldn't apologize. She couldn't endure Leia's disappointment. She couldn't ask for forgiveness because Leia had passed. And though she reached out to her teacher through the Force, as Leia had instructed her to do, the only voice Ray heard was her own. She was alone. Sad. Sad, but very true. She stared at him. Had the great Luke Skywalker, who had been so set in his convictions when she had last visited him, admitted an error? Even Jedi make mistakes, he said. It was fear that kept me here. His confession stunned her. The Luke Skywalker she had met had made grand accusations about the corruption in the Jedi Order, yet now he seemed to accept that no one was perfect, including him. I dig it. A thousand generations live in you now, Ray, but this is your fight. You'll take both sabers to Exegol. Just be wary. The evil in that place will weaken you. He will tempt you, deceive you, use your pain against you. But you must go. Okay, more dialogue from our buddy Luke on the island of Oct 2. Luke had closed himself off to the Force during his exile, which would have made a feat like this impossible, the feat of raising an X-Wing. But he was part of the Force now, and he lifted the X-Wing onto the island without the need for pulleys or cranes, only his will. He laid the fighter on the ground before her. Water flowed down its sides and leaked out of the cracks. Seaweed clung to the thrusters, and the hull had rusted in many spots. But the cockpit remained sealed, and Ray knew the engines likely were fine since they were part of their own closed system. Okay. The T-65X-Wings were hardy craft built to last a bath and ocean water was nothing compared with the infernos of space battles they had to withstand. So that is a weakish attempt at justifying the fact that an X-Wing could survive more than 30, more than 25 years in a salty ocean. Mm. I like the explanation. It doesn't mean I believe it. In the space battle, they will post it forcefully. Uh, or not before the space battle, as they're on Agent Claw still. They will, Poe said forcefully. Much had changed since the defeat on Crate. The First Order had seized many worlds in the galaxy and massacred entire populations to frighten others into submission. Their Star Destroyers menaced the skies not just of Endor and Kijimi, but of planets of peace and commerce like Bespin, Naboo, and even Coruscant. If the First Order's actions could rattle an ex-crewmate like Zori Bliss, who never took a side and was hardly ever rattled, others would be rattled too. So I like that because it shows a little bit of First Order's might, in which we never really saw the First Order's might. Like, the, the Starkiller base thing is dumb. Um, they 
were just on a chase in the Last Jedi. We never really saw. And then in in the Rise of Skywalker, it's not even the First Order; it's the Final Order that is causing the destruction. So the First Order kind of uh, didn't really do anything. If I if I had to, if I you know, the First Order is like Armada, their navy. You know, their their people they didn't really do anything. One of the soldiers boarding the lander surprised him. Rose? Rose Tico turned to him, holding an electroshock prod in her hand. He went over to her, standing between her and the ramp. You doing a checkup on the ship? Volunteering, she said, tapping the blaster pistol holstered on her other hip. Oh, no, 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 Finn didn't want her risking her life on a combat mission for which the chances of survival were slim to none. Rose? I'm going, she insisted. You'll need an engineer. And a comms officer, said Lieutenant Connix, walking past him with an earshot. And a history professor, said Beaumont Kin, right behind Connix. The two boarded the lander. Finn sighed. Is this what being a leader was? Trying to tell your friends no and watching them go against your wishes. So that's a pretty cool scene. I mean, you get a little interaction between Rose, Connix, and Bo, Beaumont Kin, and whatever. Um, it's, it's an okay addition. It's not the greatest. I need a clarification on this, and maybe chat can help me. In this book, it says that Snap Wexley yells, Incoming ties, and he rolled his X-Wing to the side. Hordes of TIE fighters launched from what Poe assumed were underground hangars. These appeared to be a new variant with triangular wings, red solar panels, and wing-mounted cannons and shield generators. There were also Fast, faster than any other typo had encountered and would overcome his squadron in mere moments. But wasn't it an A-Wing? Uh, wasn't he flying an A-Wing in this? Not an X-Wing? Mm, I don't know. I have to check. Uh, Finn fired his rifle at other troopers, giving the droid time to do his work. The droid extended his tool arm and unlocked the panel in the hole. Janna, meanwhile, knocked an arrow in her bone, released the arrow, struck a jet trooper, propelling it back into a TIE fighter. The TIE fighter careened and crashed into the destroyer. Nice shot, Finn said. Captain Gromit, teach you archery? And he says, Phasma, Janna said, knocking another arrow. Finn held back a chuckle. So that's a cool little moment between Finn and Janna. <laughs> you know, Phasma and Finn. <laughs> Drama there. Um... I have no idea what this means because I wrote a question at the top of the page that says, what does this mean? Janna says, this is the command ship. We take it down. Com scan goes down, affecting every star destroyer in the galaxy, Finn said. He was encouraged. He was thinking along the same lines as him. They were both ex-stormtroopers after all. This could throw the whole First Order fleet into chaos. Why would they put it on one ship? I just, I just, why, you know, I just, I question that. I guess maybe that's why I don't understand. Like, I ask, what does that mean? Because is it stupid? Is it a poor design flaw? Like Matt Vader 74 says on Twitch? Quite possibly. Ben Solo was strong in the force, thanks to his mother. But he also had his father's luck, at least in, at least at this moment. For it was by luck, and ready, you're going to love this. For it wasn't my luck that he found a working TIE fighter in the Death Star ruins on Kefbear, and it was by luck that the craft was a TIE scout with a hyperdrive. 
and it was by luck that Ben had managed to intercept Ray's course signal markers so he could navigate a path through the unknown regions to Exegol, and I can't laugh at that fast enough. No. Thank you. He ignited it and reminded the Knights of Ren, this is after he gets the lightsaber, he ignited it and reminded the Knights of Ren why he had been their leader. <laughs> he went at them without anger or glee, but with all the focus of one trained as a Jedi, and one by one, each of the knights fell to his blade, Vicfrol, Aplek, Cardo, Trudgeon, Ashar, and Kurik. All skewered or slashed, he showed them mercy. Here's the, here's, here's the line of the night. He showed them mercy by giving them the quick deaths they had refused to give others. A what? He showed them mercy by killing them fast. Okay, junior novel. Let's keep going. Still don't know if Poe, or I still don't know if uh, Snap Wexley was um, flying an X-Wing, but it says it again. When Poe located Snap's X-Wing on his scope, the ship's icon blipped, showing it doing a snap roll, but then the icon vanished. Vanished. But here's the skinny. It was an X-Wing, then why did I build a Lego A-Wing with Snap Wexley's minifigure on it. Maybe that's where I'm getting confused by it, because that's just super weird. But okay, X-Wing, we'll, we'll allow it. Thank you, Matt Vader 74 in chat for confirming that. Before he could issue his last order for the Resistance, half the ties ahead of him scattered while the other half burst into flames. A smooth voice came over the comm. I hear Leia needs pilots. Poe swung his X-Wing around to find a massive armada descending through the atmosphere. There were ships of all makes and models, starfighters and tramp freighters, corvettes and capital ships. He saw a Gitrock 720 and a VCX-100, a fire spray class patrol craft flying with a pursuer class enforcer, Wookiee gunships and gauntlet and derosian fighters, even a few old Z-95 headhunters and a restored Cronian Battlebird. These were but a few of the thousands of vessels arrayed before them. I liked all the callouts to those ships. I only recognized the Headhunter. Another error, in my opinion. Poe left the destroyers to the Armada and concentrated on the TIE Fighters. Re-energized by the appearance of the Allies, he started chasing down TIEs, shooting them from the sky. A second X-Wing joined him in the attack, not only replicating his tricky maneuvers, but often blasting the pursued ties before he could. Poe went wide with question. Who's that flyer? You know who, Spice Runner, the other pilot calmed back. Hearing their voices exhilarated Poe, Zori, you made it, but wasn't she flying a Y-Wing? Which leads me to believe that our friend who wrote this book literally put in X-Wing, and then did a find and replace, and just dealt with it. So, that is a, 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 an egregious error, in my opinion. Moving forward, yet again, working sanitation details a stormtrooper cadet had proved useful. That miserable experience showed him all the places, whether they be on Starkiller Base or Star Destroyers, where no one wanted to go. All the weak spots, pretty cool. Again, back to sanitation, I guess. Uh, Poe managed to 
right his X-Wing, and we have confirmation that Snap was flying an X-Wing. Thank you, Scarif Podcast and Matt Vader, for the uh, confirmation. Poe managed to write his X-Wing, foregoing his display to rely on his own two eyes, but the larger capital ships required more advanced systems to stay aloft. The Tantive Four began to plummet toward the planet, and then one of its thrusters detonated. Poe was powerless to stop the blockade runner from exploding. Bye, Tantive Four confirmed dead. Stay here, I'll come back for you, sweetheart. I promise she looked deep into the light and saw there were two, a binary star, and though the voice that said those words was her own, the love behind them was not. Uh, you know, this is when Ray is pushing herself up from her knees, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's Tantive. Confirmed. Uh, in the regular novel, when Palpatine sees Ray stand up, in the in the novel, it says that Palpatine gasped, which I had a problem with. In this junior novel, much better reaction. He regarded her with irritation. I love this line. He regarded Palpatine regarded Ray with irritation. I love that so much. Like, oh, she's like a bug. I'm irritated. Why is she still alive? That 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 actually made up for the gasp for sure. What's up, Matt Vader? I'll make sure to shut you out on the Twitter. Finn dropped through the Falcon's hatch an old rebel pilot named Wedge Antilles, who had joined Lando and Chewie, helped him and Janet down instead of rushing to the turrets, as Wedge and Janet did. Finn went to the first console he could find and initiated a sensor sweep for Luke Skywalker's X-Wing. While the scan progressed, Finn noticed a flurry of activity on Resistance channels, Reports were being received from all over the galaxy of star systems now in open rebellion against the First Order. Bestman, Jakku, Naboo, Corellia, Lothal, Typhara, Coruscant. Just really enjoyed the different planets kind of coming out uh, into the end of the movie. That's really nice. Following her method, he placed his hand on her waist and sank into the Force, and here we go. He found her spirit within him and gently returned that essence to her along with what he had left of his own. She woke slowly, stirring, her eyes opening to look. She smiled, staring into his eyes, and reached up to kiss him. Ben, she said. He smiled back at her. Ray, the scavenger girl who had salvaged his life, until the world turned around him, faded away, and he went home. But it kind of says she reached up to kiss him, but it doesn't say they kissed in this junior novel. Mm, guess what? This is my favorite version, because that's how I'm interpreting it, that she went to kiss him, and he died. Like it. And finally, noticeably absent from the homecoming was Ray, but the pro probability of her survival wasn't something he could determine. See, through with any degree of accuracy, beings who had talents in the Force, like Master Luke and Princess Leia, seemed to defy all odds. And that's kind of the gist of the Rise of Skywalker's junior novel and how it sort of added some cool details it added some unnecessary details it added some wonderful clarifications for me uh, you know I'm, I'm a I'm a movie watcher and then a book reader and then I like to see the differences and I usually am okay 
Uh, usually the other way around is not good. When it's a book that becomes a movie, that's where you get issues. But usually a movie that becomes a book has less issues because the book has an opportunity to expand upon some things. Which, again, well, why didn't they just put it in the movie? Well, because of budget cuts, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. You know, it is. It, it happens. You know, whatever. But uh, thank you for listening to that little segment. Now let's just quickly recap because we're getting a little long on this segment. Let's quickly recap Mandalorian Disney Gallery Episode 4 Technology. I just wanna I, I just wanna say that John Favreau's dedication to filmmaking blew me away. Between Jungle Book, uh, Lion King, and then seeing how his technology has evolved, he completely has changed the game. John Favreau literally changed the filming game. I, I can't believe what I was watching. Uh, uh, he First off, he seems very genuine. He seems very smart. Like, I'm, uh, I am super intimidated by John Favreau. Like, for real. The whole idea of the, of the, the volume and how it's this, this, this huge, you know, 270-degree circle with a ceiling LED. I didn't even know the ceiling was LED. And how they had to... F- they could literally change scenes and bring in practical stuff and make it all happen within just a few hours and then reshoots and do this and do that. And they're using the Unreal Engine, a game engine, something that is refreshing at a fast rate. I just, I, I'm so floored at the technology. And, and listen, it, it paid off. I mean, the, the Mandalorian is a high, high quality show it's a high quality show um from what i understand they have a question in chat i want to know how they program the volume do they go film stuff with a 360 camera i think and again i only watched it one time i believe they take a picture of it and then they render and stitch it together right they render and stitch it together now it could be a 360 camera for sure but there's also what they call parallax which is a depth so it, you know, it's it's depth and it's also point of reference. So wherever you're looking, it looks like you're looking at it from that point of view. So it's 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 real time game rendering. It's absolutely wild, and I can't say um, I can't say enough about the technology behind the Mandalorian. And you know, this is not a wild statement, but <clears throat> people will be making movies like this in the near future. You know, you won't have to have green screens. You won't have to dub in and erase the green screen. Like if I look up my gla- if I look up at the stream, my glasses are picking up on my light. Well, that would have to be taken out in post. But a lot of that doesn't have to happen. So you can go from from shooting to cut to cutting room in a day or two versus waiting for the post and then cutting it. It's just completely wild you cannot tell you cannot tell what's real and what's not real it's fantastic it's super super cool and i can't tell you enough to check out the mandalorian or like disney gallery episodes one through four but in particular episode four for its technology usage well, my friends, that ends segment 21.2 for us uh, during this mini segment, this mini episode of 21. 
Uh, stay tuned for the final segment in 21.3 as we uh, bring on a guest. Uh, the Ice Orb will come on to sort of talk about the ranking of the films. And this sort of was just a casual conversation that we had to end because it was getting a little bit too too late in the game. And uh, I'm going to release it as part of this episodic series for me uh, so we can continue that conversation at a later date. But thank you for listening to the Rise of Skywalker stuff. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let me know if you have if you picked up anything else on the technology that the Mandalorian has been using. And stay tuned for 21.3. But as they say in a galaxy far, far away, and big shout-outs to Scourf Podcast and Matt Vader74 of the Red 5 Network for checking in during the Twitch stream. May the Force be with you. Star Wars by MRC Tech, created by Sean, found on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, can be streamed from mrctechllc.com. Follow Sean and MRC Tech on all the socials. Search out MRC Tech and you will surely find them. Catch all the exciting Star Wars action in a podcast form. But don't forget, MRC Tech also streams content like games and Lego builds and is also a tech specialist. Reach out if you ever need help. Music provided by Incompetech, the Baltic House Orchestra, Pandemics, and ChillHop.com. Copyrighted 2020. Cheers, and may the force be with you.